0: Now,
1: Rock Talk with Mitch LaFawn. Welcome to this episode of Rock Talk with Mitch LaFawn. Joining me as always is former Guns N' Roses manager, Alan Niven. Alan, bonjour. How are you? Ça va? Good. uh, I'm I'm excited. We've got an incredible guest today from, or formerly from, I guess, uh, the one and only Jethro Tull. It is Martin Barr. He's got a new album out called 50 Years of Jethro Tull. And uh, next year... Next year, he is going to be celebrating 50 years of Aqualung with a uh, fabulous tour, or I guess in these days, fingers crossed, with a tour, hopefully, uh, as we say in Montreal. Bonjour, Martin. How are you?
2: Yeah, I'm good. And the great thing about my age is that every year from now on will be the 50th anniversary of something.
1: (laughs) That's kind of funny. That's funny. In fact, yeah, a friend of mine, Chris Jericho, who's a wrestler, he was born on November ninth, the day we're recording this, and he just turned fifty. So everything's it's it's fifties everywhere. Yeah, um, it's I'm number. I'm going to uh, to to quickly defer to Alan for the first question, just because you know, yeah. Alan. I don't want to say grew up with you, but he he's. He was a fan from day one, and uh, when I was talking, I said, "Hey, uh, Alan, uh, I got th- this offer to interview Martin. Should we do it? Is it something?" He was like, "Yeah, bloody!"
2: So, Alan,
1: uh, I'm sure this is like a-, a childhood fantasy. Here is the one and only Martin Barr for you. Go ahead.
0: Well, well, of course, Martin. Um, a delight to talk with you and meet with you, and of course, it spun my brain back fifty years. And it made me remember things like underground bands and the fact that uh, when I was an unpleasant little little nipper, a little whippersnapper, I used to delight in finding bands before other people. So perhaps you'll forgive yeah. me when I say that my two favorite towel records are the first two. Um, yeah. You know, and then once everybody else found the band, I was kind of like, well, I need to find somebody else to discover. But uh, Um, One of the things that is very evident to me is, and perhaps you're aware of this, are you aware of how many people that you influence? And that Uh, if I were to describe uh, you, mm
2: -hmm. if
0: if, if, if I were to describe you, I would say that you had a remarkable ability to take the blues format and idiom and also connect it to a very British folk sensibility, and you had a tremendous ability to do that.
2: Yeah, oh, I, I, I follow. I follow those points. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm. I'm not a follower, um, but then I'm not a leader either. So you know, I find my musicality somewhere out there, um, and I, I'm not trying to go where nobody else has gone just to be um, awkward. Um, but I, I don't know. I've always been that way. I sort of followed my own nose and ended up somewhere usually unknown territory but uh but i i agree with you the early days were uh exciting you know that lots of bands or every night of the week you go and see a band and um and funnily enough you, you said after a couple of years you'd had enough looking for fresh blood but that, that was like john peel he was uh another one of those guys who was really looking for unusual music and um and, and he was a big supporter of toll until we made it, and <laughs> he didn't want to yes. know because he, he only wanted underground <laughs> bands. He, he didn't want rock stars. Yeah, we mm. were out of there.
0: Yeah, for those listening who don't know who John Peel is, he was um, a DJ in the United Kingdom who uh, very very much wanted to be at the very front of the very largest or the best wave in front of everybody else he wanted to discover mm-hmm. discover people all the time but um, that mu- that must have been an extraordinary moment um being brought into town was it intimidating
2: yeah. oh it was or, yeah, or, I mean, or did it feel oh did it feel good well, both because uh, Tull in '68 were the sort of uh, emerging band in, in the English r- rock scene, for want of a better expression, and and everybody uh, was in awe of them. That th- they were just different, and uh, and particularly from a guitar playing point of view, Mick Abrams was one of the best players around. And and, and when he left, everybody wanted his job, um, including me. Um, but but I met Ian because of my flute playing. So so I was playing blues flute uh, at the same time, and and I knew about him, and he knew about me, because we were the only two guys doing it in the UK, uh, and we we played the Van Dyke Club in, funny enough, in Plymouth, and uh, that's where we met, and then sort of three months later, Mick quit the band, and um, I sort of jumped you got in a call. and eventually got the gig.
1: That's a good gig. Um, got a call. Let me let me just ask you real quick, and I don't want to to, to spend too much time on this, but we know what happened in two thousand twelve, and the band, you know, you and Ian, you went yeah. your own ways. But when he comes mm-hmm. out earlier this year and tells Dan Rather in the states that he's got an incurable lung disease and 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 things aren't looking so, do you sort of just look at that and go, oh, all right, you know, we've had our fights, but. Let's just say one last thing. Let's, let's get back on the phone. Let's, let's do one last show. Let's do one last... Does it change anything of the last eight years, or do you just sort of go, hey, I wish him well, but I'm still done with him? You know, how, how does that change well, well, stuff?
2: Well, well, did you get the rest of the story? You got half the story. Right. He, he announced he had this terrible disease... Right, uh, and then a few days later, he retracted it because he hasn't right. got a, a terrible disease. COPD. He's just oh, got a, a problem with it with his throat and singing, which I think you know we, we've known for a long time. And God bless him, you know, he's a great flute player. But um, you know, very sadly, what was a great voice um, has now sort of deteriorated. As, as happens to a, a lot of people, especially at that age. Um, so, no, he, I think Ian just made a, a big mistake. Well, I, I don't know why he said he was dying. Um, but before I had a chance to get on the phone and say, let's do one more concert, um, he'd retracted it and um, embarrassingly said, no, I'm OK. I'll be around for a bit.
1: Yeah.
0: yeah. So, Ma- Martin, I've got to ask you, um, mm-hmm. with your folk sensibilities, have you... Um, spent time with for example the Fairports uh, no. did you know the Pentangle guys oh, um, yeah. let me throw a couple of names at you Rendon, Yanch, are these guys that you played with? Yeah.
2: I, I know all of them very 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 well, well I, I do this project um, in Europe called Excalibur which is a sort of crazy rock opera with a 60 piece orchestra, Irish dancers um, lots of rock star guests and, and Fairport are, are the sort of focal band. So, um, awesome. so I, I, I it's a great gig. I mean, it's just so much fun. Uh, so, you know, a, a you, French, you, a, a, you know what my okay. follow up question is going to be
0: is how many people are aware of your middle name? Were you really christened that? Oh yeah.
2: Lancelot Um, I mean, I, I've always had it. Uh, I I didn't advertise it, but but Ian thought it was quirky. And as soon as he knew of it, he he used it to my annoyance at first. But now, you know, (laughs) it's just my name. (laughs) And it's my son's name. It's my dad's name. Or it was my dad's name. Wow. It's it's a family name. And and our family uh, go back to uh, Paris because my granddad was French and um, was Mm. a violinist in an orchestra. So, yeah, so, you know, it's, it's the, the French side of the family is important.
0: Well, me. no one, no wonder you're doing a thing called Excalibur. Yeah,
2: with well, a French, composer. <laughs> with the French composer. With a French composer. With a French composer. He's uh, very, very French. <laughs> Lots of kisses and hugs, and it's very all very emotional. But it's, uh, yeah, but the, Jackie McShay and Jerry Conway, I mean, I, I know all of those people so well. And I, I met John Renbourn. All of them, and um, not because we were of, of that genre at the time, but they're just nice people on the road and got on well. Dave Pegg joined the band at some point, you know, later down the line, and and he brought right. all those influences into the music.
0: So you must have played at their, their Cropety uh, Festival.
2: I played it a few times. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I was Quite a bigger. few times. Yeah. Let me just quickly
1: ask you about the, the new album The that, that celebrates 50 years of, of Jethro Tull. Uh, talk to me a little bit about uh, putting together that set list. And, sir, sort of how do you sort of decide which ones go in and which ones speak uh, to the fans most? Uh, how was sort of the album put together?
2: Um, well, I... In 2011, Ian finished with Jethro Tull. Mm-hmm. So I sort of started from zero, and, and I gave it a lot of thought and um, slowly built up my band. And, and, and I started talking to the fans, you know, listening, talking, uh, figuring out what, what they liked, what they didn't like, what they missed and they hadn't heard for years. So I've, I put a very um, tight and meaningful historical set together with my own music and tolls music. And so a lot of it from, from that line of thought and that they're just songs from the, the earlier albums, which are much more guitar riffy, you know, they're all sort of centered around the guitar more than anything. So they, it suits me to do those. And, and they're, they're great songs. They, we, we, change them a bit. We update them. We make them fresh and more powerful. And I've got a great band uh, and a great drummer. The, the drummer's a, a, like a rock and roll animal. And he just uh, makes everything come alive. So it, it's it's an easy choice. There's so much to choose. Uh, it's such a huge catalogue. So part of it is what I knew worked on stage. Some of the things I knew fans really wanted to hear and then the rest is just songs that are that are, are my favorites.
1: Uh, just before just before we got on the call today, I was speaking with Joe Bonamassa, not an interview, but the guitarist, and and I said, "Hey, Martin's gonna call me in fifteen minutes," and he was like, "Oh, he is one of my favorites. Please tell him hello and tell him how much he has meant to me." Um, mm. What does that mean to you when? Not only just a fan, but somebody of Joe's pedigree says, this guy, Martin, is one of the best. He, How does that affect you?
2: Uh, it, it doesn't affect me musically because I, I, I'll never have such a high opinion of myself, which is why, you know, every day I, I get in the studio and practice. But now I, I know Joe from when he was told support band and and every night on this Long U.S. tour, I got up on stage with him and played uh, New Day Yesterday. So you know, we became friends, and and I knew then he, he was a great player, and he, and he just was going to get better and better. I'm I'm really happy for him. You know, he, he's he works really hard at what he does. Um, is he, is a true gigging touring musician. Uh, you know, he, he he works his balls off. And, and and you can hear it in his music. He it, is it, really found a place in guitar music that that's, that uh, that has reached the pinnacle. You know, is it, made it his, and and that's not easy to do.
0: It it really he hasn't. has a tr- he has a tr- he has a tremendous feel in his playing. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. And it's and and no you know, it's just it, melody. Yeah. Yes, yeah, and that. Well, uh, all the
2: great guitar players, I, uh, a, a great rhythm players like Jeff Beck, um, is such a great rhythm player. And if you if you analyse his playing, it's so precise. <clears throat> no, no, no matter how many notes he plays, that they're just exactly in the right place. Uh, Ritchie Blackmore's another great timekeeper, but you know it's, it's where your right hand is the drums. Um, you, you, you're a sort of self-contained entity where you, you have the rhythm's built in, and, and it, like all the great blues players—Stevie Ray, um, Albert King, Freddie King, BB King—it it was all the feel of, of where to put these notes in the bar, and, and it, it's not easy. There might be a pentatonic blues solo, but it is—it's it, it, so precise. And you, you, you can't learn it, you can't be taught it. It's a a combination of all that and, and having the feel and understanding this music. And somebody like Joe's really worked hard at getting inside it.
0: Who who really uh, lit a fire for you? Listening to um, I, I get a I get a sense, Martin, that uh, you might you might have been exposed to some jazz guitarists at an early age. Is that true?
2: Uh, well, my dad, um, who, who wanted to be a clarinetist, uh, when I started playing, he gave me all his jazz uh, vinyl collection that Lode Barney Kessel, Jimmy Smith, Wes Montgomery, Kenny Burrell. And I know, And but essentially I, I wanted to be a rock and roll guitar player. You know, I was 14 years old, coming on 15. I didn't want to play jazz. Um, so I, I sort of ignored it. But uh, but Frank Wes was on one of those albums, and and uh, I love the flute playing. So uh, within a year, I bought a flute, and uh, and I kept my flute playing going um, all the way through. But um, I can't play jazz. Um, uh, I don't particularly want to play jazz, but, but but I admire it, and 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 I love the feel, and I, I love the freedom, the improvisation so uh, advanced um just the the way instruments react to each other and 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 the intimacy between um the people in the band it's that, that there's a lot to be learned from it but there's a lot to be learned from classical music in the harmony in, in the dynamics in the melody so uh, i i love classical music as well and i'll never be able to play it but i i love to hear it and 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 they, all these things that that they inspire me even though I don't want to play them, uh, I think you, you can just t- you can uh, take in all all these styles, and maybe a bit rubs off. But essentially, just inspires you to yeah. to find your own way forward in music. Uh,
1: I, I want to quickly ask yeah, they, about quickly ask about the uh, Aqualung 50th anniversary tour um mm. which is going to be in 2021 again let's hope mm. we're hoping and we hope it gets to north america yeah, yeah, yeah. um mm-hmm. w- just quickly looking back on the 50 years since it's been released you know you've you've had it uh i don't want to say touched up but you've had it uh, remixed by steven wilson uh, you know mm. uh, magazine after magazine has declared it you know top 10 top 100 top 2 mm-hmm. you know album of a lifetime what was that album for you? And and when you look back on fifty years, do you think, oh man, we, there's so many things we should have fixed on it, or is this like, nope, that's a masterpiece, and a masterpiece is a man. How do you look back fifty years on Aqualung?
2: Uh Well, well, it, it's it's a a time in history, and it's like black and white movies, and and I've you know in lockdown they've been showing some sort of old uh, Grace Kelly and Frank Sinatra um Gene Kelly some of these old black and white movies and and you know the the they've something elements of them are incredible at the dancing but the the quality of the filming and the quality of some of the acting is is really awful but but you know it's it's a time capsule and and you can't change it you don't want to, you don't want to color the movie you don't want to dub over the acting it, it, it's it was um, a piece of art in in a one one particular time, and <clears throat> has to stay there. So um, certainly, there's war on, on everything, but they they don't need fixing because um, it's what made the early seventies that way. It was naive. People were learning how to play, learning how to record and play better, get better tones. On their instruments, playing tune a bit better. I mean, it, it was um, a time of discovery, so it's a it's a time capsule, and um, I, and I look back on it as that. So I'm I'm you know I'm proud that I was there and and, and was able to partake in the early 70s and the late 60s. But but essentially, I, I don't. Uh, I'm not sort of sitting on the on the glory of it. Because I just think you know we've all moved on and and we had to you know and we still are, but but I, you know I I have great loyalty to the history of the band and, and and I feel like I'm flying some sort of flag to keep that music alive and and take it forward.
0: Oh, absolutely, but Martin. I'm going to sl- Martin. I'm going to slightly disagree with you if I may be so bold, <laughs> um, and I'll tell you why. Um, being a little bit of an old dog myself now, um, I definitely have had it um, deeply set in my bones that good playing or inspired playing is not a time capsule. It's actually timeless. And I think yeah. your playing on Aquilon qualifies as being timeless and that it speaks now as well as it spoke the day you played it.
2: Well, that's very, very, very nice of you to say so. Uh, no, not it's my not my place motivation. to have an opinion like that, but but that's a <laughs> very nice thing to say. Thank you very much. But, I mean, I, I think that about Hendrix, you know, I can I can listen to Purple Haze and, and knowing even now, as we do, that it was a demo. It wasn't even a real thing. And it's phenomenal, you know, it's, it's perfect, uh, and it is forever. Um, all of his music is just so uh, timeless. Uh, but I can quantize that because I'm, I'm, I'm outside of it. Uh, I'm, I'm just a, another punter, uh, another music listener, and, and, I, and I can make a, a sort of valid opinion. But, yeah, so, so I, I know it exists, and the same with the Stones music and the Beatles and... Um, every blues artist, um, yeah, it, it, it's all uh, Neil Young. I mean, I could go on on, on and on about things that I love, uh, and, and they are from 30, 40, 50, 60 years ago, and, and they're still great. I listen to them now, but the exact version, and, and they're just still wonderful.
1: Oh, they really are. I, I want to ask you uh, one thing coming from the Metallica fan perspective. Um, we all know about this ah. this, this crest of a knave, it's a great album, and of course, everybody Metallica doesn't win the best heavy metal album. But ha- has the controversy, so called controversy, overshadowed the fact that you actually had a great album? And you know, we've all heard Lars Ulrich talk about it, and we've heard you know Kirk Hammett talk about it. But how do you look back on this? Because at the end of the day, you know, you had a great album. Uh, you,
2: you, yeah. you, um How do you oh, yeah. sort of well, see it, the well, whole situation? Well, it wasn't a, a controversy in in, in my household. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that the, let's put it that way. I, and I'm looking at my Grammy right now. There, it's up on the top shelf in my studio. Please, please and take a picture there, and uh, send
1: it over. But go ahead.
2: <laughs> well, it's there that so, so you, that people who come here to to work for me. Uh, Look, look, and look at it, and, uh, and it pisses them off. Uh, and I'm like, "Yep, yeah, that's a Grammy. It's mine, and I earned it. I don't say it, oh, but I think it." Oh, and uh, oh, you I definitely earned
0: it, Martin. <laughs> you earned it, and I'll well, and I'll tell you something else that you may not be aware of. But I I had two nominations at the same time in the same category. Oh wow! Oh, are,
1: was uh, was Guns N' Roses yeah. uh, up that year too? And Great White, they were both up that year for for best hard rock metal uh, thing of '89. Yep. Oh, yep. so so Martin yeah, beat thanks. you too.
2: <laughs> That's awesome. Oh, he beat me like a wrench <laughs> mule. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but yeah, we're all winners. But uh, I mean, I wish. But my one regret is I wasn't there, and, and the record company. Uh, said, you're not going to win it. We got nominated, and, and I'm over the moon. I go, wow, I've got a bit of paper that says I'm nominated. But that, that was the end of it, because the record company say that you're definitely not going to win. It's Metallica's award, everybody's saying it. <clears throat> they're playing there, they're going to play live, all their fans are there. Um, we're not, we're not going to fly you out for it. And so I, I'm at home, and it's midnight, about to go to bed, and I get a phone call saying, oh, yeah, you've won a Grammy. I'm like, oh, oh, Uh, (laughs) it it was just. uh, But but we come across as being rude because we weren't there to receive it, and and that's the the bad thing. But the only negative thing about it is that, and I would have loved the the um, the occasion. Uh, And and if I ever get a chance of doing something like that again, I don't know. Just go, uh, just go for posterity.
1: No, but the, the the one thing that I find uh, r- regretful in, in the controversy, wh- whether or not Metallica deserved to, that's a whole other debate, but fans have talked about it as if Jethro Tull didn't deserve it and didn't deserve it, like, the album wasn't good enough, and it's like, no, the album had it has its merits, it's a good album, it's a strong album, you know, Jumpstart, Steel Monkey, all... You know, so, yes, talk about whether Metallica deserves to win, go ahead, but don't say... Jethro Tull's album is no good, or and and that's what bothers me is that for some reason, because you won anyway. Uh, but that that must have been yeah, a sweet I moment mean, for you.
2: It,
0: yeah, Martin. Martin, it, if accurate. it makes Martin, if it makes you feel any better, uh, yeah. the same night I was not there either, and <laughs> right. I made sure yeah. that I was a gig, at a gig completely on the other side of the country. But that <laughs> had more to do with my sense of. I'm not sure that I believe in award shows. I don't think it's right yeah, to but, creativity. Yeah. So I wasn't there either, Martin.
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, well I thought, you know, toll so always turn their back on that sort of thing. But you know what? Uh, uh, I'm, I'm very, very happy that I got it. And, uh, you know, everybody likes a pat on the back. You know, they, they might shrug it off or, or just, you know, pretend that it's not cool but we're all human, and, and we all like to be told we've done a good job, and here's a little present, and you go, yeah. you know, even deep down, you're smiling.
1: It's a, it's a, it's a great job, and, and quite frankly, the, the, the best part would have been if Jethro Tull had invited Metallica to open for them on the next North American tour. I thought that <laughs> that, would, that would have been hilarious. You
2: know? Yeah, that, well, that would have been brilliant. It would have, it would you, have been I, perfect. I'd have, I'd have done it without a doubt.
1: Well, hey, when the uh, when the fiftieth anniversary comes up in twenty twenty six or something, maybe you can uh, convince the oh, Metallica right. boys to come up with you and, and yeah. do something. Or twenty twenty seven. Anyway, it's oh, down the road. Yeah. But uh, I know we're going to yeah. run out of time, Alan. A um, couple more questions, and then I guess we're going to have to go. So, Alan, up to you. Oh, um, is, is the
0: the tour is coming to America, right, Martin? You're going to get over here and tour it here.
2: Um, well, we've got a backlog. I think we've got about four US tours that that, that we haven't done, and and they get they keep they keep being put back. Uh, twenty one, uh, and, and the last conversation I had with the people in, over there in America uh, are talking about twenty two. You know that the, the fact that mm-hmm. we don't think theatre gigs, that the sort of you know large theatre shows that we do. Uh, will be viable until twenty twenty two, maybe earlier. But you know, and and we're we just stockpiling all these tours. We've got one for Australia, one for South America. We've got a huge European tour, a UK tour, Ugh, Italy. Um, <laughs> it's crazy, but um, and and we're out of work, and it's a disaster. Um, but. At some point when it starts again i'm going to be working 365 days that year and that's going to be amazing
1: it's awesome. it's going to it's going to be terrific and uh, i'll finish with this just yeah. real quick uh, we are doing aqualung 50th Th- uh, thick as a brick comes up in 2022 yeah. uh, d- yeah. do you want to start to do those where you start celebrating the album's 50th anniversaries because I don't know if you want to do every album, but certainly Aqualung and Thick as a Brick are are both deserving of that kind of treatment.
2: Yeah, well, I think the answer is probably not, because uh, I've got a lot of my my own solo albums, and they're sort of taking second place at the moment, and uh, I want to get back on the road playing a lot of that music. So when we do the Aqualung tour, the first set will be all my music, and the second set will just be the whole of the Aquilung album. But um, uh, yeah, I don't know. The, the jury's out, taking it further down the line well, because um, uh, you know, I think as a Brit, we, we, we do uh, about twenty minutes from it, and 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 it's great. You know, we we do the best twenty minutes of music, and, and we and we do it on stage. We have been doing it. Um, but to do the whole album, I'm maybe not, not. Too sure about that.
1: Is is it still? Because you said you said you're doing the first half with your own music. Is it still important for you to be creative and make new music? Because let's be let's be honest. You yeah. could you could put on the marquee. Martin Bar does Aqualong. Blah blah blah. Martin Buzz thick as mm. a brick. He does, you know you you could put that there. It'll sell out and everybody'll have a good time. Mm. Uh, is it still important yeah. though for you to say? Yeah, that's nice, fans. Mm. But I need to be Martin first. Yeah.
2: Yeah, well, absolutely. And, and and the the first 5 years of my band, I never played Aqualung on stage because it, it's the cheap shot. You know, I, I don't I don't want to be obvious and predictable and
1: But you many know, bands the do. Right?
2: The yeah. So so my music, I love writing and uh, I've got another album sort of in preparation for next year. Uh but you know, I've got a DVD coming out in a couple of weeks. I've got this album that we're promoting, and uh, it, I'm lucky to have two two separate things that that are really important to me, and and, and I can combine them. You know, I can mix and match, uh, and it works because essentially, you know, the, the the common thread is is the guitar playing because I I have to. Think that, that whatever's in Parliament, in my music, is married by the common ground that's me. So you know, musically it blends together, and uh, and the fans like it. But yeah, I, 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 my music, in my mind, comes first.
1: Yeah, that, and that's the way it should be. Uh, and as we say in Montreal, merci. But I'll, I'll just let Alan, Alan, say uh, say your last words. And uh, thank you, Martin. Absolute pleasure today.
2: Oh,
0: thank you, Alan. Martin, Martin, a pleasure talking with you. And uh, I'm a great believer in the fact that uh, if you stay active and creative, it helps you in the perception that the spirit does not age. And uh, go practice.
2: Yeah, I'll I'll drink a nice glass of Chardonnay to that one. I totally agree with you.
1: There you go. Thank you, gentlemen. Merci beaucoup. Thank you. And uh, there we go.
2: Perfect. Thanks, Mitch. Thanks, Alan.
1: Cheers.